0: that's indeed.com/bluewire sports and support the show by saying that you heard it on this podcast indeed.com/bluewire sports terms and conditions apply need to hire you need indeed
1: before we get started with this episode of Ben's with Bubba couple things to talk to you about. First, the Listener League, League 2, is up and running. Just need a few more people to sign up for it. If you're interested in playing the league, 15-team Roto League, just give a rating review on iTunes, and we'll get you right on in that league. So come check it out, Listener League 2, over on Fantrax. Also, go check out the Fantasy Black Book. I cover the catchers and the relief pitchers over there. 20th edition gets you ready for your fantasy baseball draft. Fantasy Black Book by Joe P. Cappia, the 10th edition of the Fantasy Baseball Black Book. Also, I'm doing a lot of work over at Rotoballer this year doing season-long and DFS content. If you want to get in on the action, go check it all out right now. 50% off the total package. And if you use promo code Bubba, B-U-B-B-A, you get an extra 10% off. So you can get the whole season MLB package for 60% off over at Rotoballer. You cannot miss out on that. It is a great deal. All the content, all the tools, all the great stuff for DFS and season-long, a total of 60% off. If you use promo code Bubba, so go check that out on Roto Baller. But for now, speaking of Roto Baller, i got a special guest on Bench with Bubba, episode 253, talking spring training, some advanced stats like outs above average, barrels, TGFBI, and more with Eric Samolsky of Roto Baller. Hope you all enjoy. Back everybody to another episode of Benched with Bubba, episode 253. Got a special guest, first timer on the show. You can find us work over at Rotoballer on Twitter at Samsky NYC. Eric samolsky How we doing, man? Good. How are you? Good, good. Great to have you on the show. Happy uh, to be on. I, I mentioned the roto baller thing before we dig into everything. Let everybody know what you got going on.
2: Yeah, so uh, start, I'm up on Rotoballer right now. I've been doing a couple of uh, different pieces, uh, looking into uh, barrels, um, who's kind of like who's got some regression coming their way, who had some um, progress last year, whether that's sticky or not. And then I started looking into uh, that Statcast uh, OAA metric, which is outs above average. Um, they've had it for a couple of years for the outfield, basically just kind of measuring as a defender on each individual defensive play um, how many outs above major league average that defender is able to get. Um, and they released it this year um, with the infielders as well. So now you've got to get a whole sense of a team's entire defense, um, how good that defense is. Uh, and then the cool thing about StatCast is you're able to check that when a pitcher is on the mound too. So I can look up a particular pitcher and see the quality of defense that um, that his team plays in general, but also while he's specifically been on the mound so it's a a brand new thing that they've got with all players so we're just kind of playing around with it and then seeing what we can pull out from it
1: yeah i'm looking forward to keep seeing how deep it keeps going it's fun uh seeing all the new metrics i know i, I felt like an idiot once i asked you what's oaa once you said i'm like, oh. Oh, yeah. no duh no yeah, that, makes, I mean, that made sense when
2: there's, you said there's, it. there's new things coming out every day once you kind of keep up with something there's a new thing coming
1: out well, I, I didn't know if it was a Statcast or a Roto Baller thing because, like Roto Baller, we have uh, RBEVR and all these different yeah, things. Yeah, yeah. So I'm like, okay, so what is this? And then I'm like, oh yeah, that makes sense. No, <laughs> so,
2: it's, it's uh, you know, I haven't I haven't done a math or a numbers class since college, and every time I'm you know getting back into baseball, I feel like I'm getting that that dose of numbers and math and all that.
1: Man, I've said it for like people that uh, maybe listen back to like episode one. I was, I still kind of can be at times. I will never say I'm not. I was very Neanderthal like type person, but sure. it came when it came to any new stat, I was like, nope, this is the way we do things. But I've embraced them, and I keep learning them, and I have so much more to learn. Like I have nowhere close to probably you and many others. Like I'm always learning every day. That's what that's one thing that's cool about hosting the podcast is I get to learn things all the time. Uh, yeah. So I,
2: I made the same transition. I mean, you know, I used to, I used to play and I kind of did the whole old Mm -hmm. school, like I judge everything by my eyes. If I see Mm -hmm. the way the pitch moves, if I see the way the swing looks, that's more important than anything else. Um, And I think you just kind of realize the more you watch, the more you pay attention that, you know, it doesn't have to be all or nothing that that middle ground is, is super interesting. And, you know, kind of like, you know, what I, what I've had to learn to do is it's, it's similar to when you look at a particular player, right. And there's that, that new sleeper that everybody's infatuated with. And all of a sudden, you know, that, that draft place soars because everybody's focused on that guy. And it's the same thing with the stat. You get a new stat and, and it's all everybody wants to talk about. And sometimes we, you know, we have to take a breath and see that it's just one in a, a number of stats and try to see which ones are really, you know, more useful. And, and sometimes you, you know, it's interesting, but maybe not actionable.
1: A hundred percent. Like we're seeing more and more of these guys say, they're that are doing the heavy lifting, and then I get to kind of act like I know what I'm talking about. Exactly, and, and I, I'm like, and they're so they're showing how barrels are one of the stickiest, you know, best stats. They're showing, you know, line drive exit velocity is pretty strong. Then there's yeah, all yeah. these other ones that are they're nice, but are they really worth you know trusting so often? So it's interesting to see how it all plays out because each stat tells a story. It's how you put each story together to give like the, the overall picture. Exactly. And, and, and that's the fun part about it. And you mentioned how you played and you used to be like all, all the, you know, just with the eyes and I, am hundred percent with you. Cause that's how I was. And I still feel like I am. I feel, I feel like I've made it maybe like a 60, 40, like 60%. I sure. still trust the eye test as a guy like yourself that played, you know, like baseball, you know, superstitions, a lot of streaks, like you're feeling mm-hmm. it or you're not There's So like, I, I tell people when for my season long approach on things, doing daily fantasy, helps me so much because you learn the splits and when guys are streaking and, like, all these different types of deals. And I still think there's a lot to it because, like, there's no way to mathematically analyze if a guy's, you know, on a hot streak type thing. There really isn't. And so I I still use it. How much do you say you still use the eye test when you're evaluating? I think I still use
2: it as much as I can. I mean, the beauty of, you know, well, Major League Baseball is a little behind all the other sports in terms of, you know, being able to get a lot of access to Clips and all that online, it seems like you know people are talking about it right now with all the string the spring training games. you know there's not a lot on TV anytime you get a good clip or an at bat up on Twitter, somebody's gonna come up and pull it down um so you know it's not as easy as some of the other sports, but you know in twenty twenty we're still pretty spoiled with how much we have access to online. so I try to watch um you know as much as much as I can of you know pitchers and certain hitters at bats, and I think you know um i i trust my eyes i guess i mean you know i i trust numbers sure um but i you know i i guess i'm i try to make it if i can see a guy i think i trust what i see um mm-hmm. and just kind of hope that uh you know maybe it gives it clarifies the numbers a little bit mm-hmm. you know but i look at uh how easy it is i think your point to um take a number and maybe take it out of the the context of the game in particular like recently i think my big pet peeve has been how much uh, how easy people make it seem to just oh well if he just raises his launch angle he just has to raise his launch
1: angle <laughs> so well, easy to do just do it try, know, to, try to raise your launch angle guys Come exactly
2: on. i mean raising your launch angle <laughs> changes an entire swing so like my my guy right now that you know i'm a little bit lower on than everybody else is, is Yandi diaz because everybody's like well he has a 5.4 launch angle if he just raises his launch angle with how hard he hits the ball then he's going to you know crush 25 30 whatever homers but sure but in order to range his launch, to raise his launch angle he's a change around his entire swing and mm-hmm. yes these guys are gifted hitters and a lot of them can do that and still make the same quality of contact but not everybody it's not a, it's yep. not a given i mean i think you know you saw last year with somebody like Travis Shaw who was a 30 plus home run hitter and then changed his swing. And all of a sudden he couldn't hit anything. And he said, you know, he changed his swing and he, he couldn't get out of his own way. So, you know, sometimes it's not as easy as the, the numbers make it seem.
1: Yeah. And there's, there's guys like Daniel Murphy that have proven you can do it. Like it's possible, but like, like you're saying, it's like for every Daniel Murphy, there's probably 20 guys that try and just makes them worse. Yeah. So it's so hard. look at look at uh, Wilson Ramos for crying out I think his launch angle was literally zero last year. Zero. Um, so just imagine what he could do if you wanted to play that game. But yeah, that, that, we can go down a rabbit hole on this kind of stuff. Oh yeah, the uh, whole time. It. But let's get back on track because you got a TGFBI pick to make on. Air I do. Yeah, I'm soon. on the clock. I'm on the yeah. clock right now. So we got to get that before you get the dreaded auto pick. But we gotta go over some uh, recent spring training news real quick just to keep people in the loop on what's going on and kind of how we would approach the situation. And we'll start with uh, Giancarlo Stanton, calf strain, another injury from Giancarlo. I was telling someone at least it's not like a core injury like we've seen in the past, but it's still a calf injury. They're already saying he's probably going to miss the start of the season. Uh, he's been going after pick 100 in recent online drafts, which is interesting. Uh, how are you approaching Stanton? Is there a price tag that you will be buying in on Stanton?
2: Um, I mean – Sure. I never want to say never. Um, I'm just super hesitant after all the years because, you know, you are, you're taking a massive roll of the dice. Um, And I know where his ADP was, you know, everybody kept saying, why not, you know, why not wait and get Miguel Sano for, you know, 40 picks, 50 picks less um, and still, you know, have some of that same power. Uh, If he's going after a hundred, I'm a little bit more interested um, just because it's more in that in that range where you get out you get out of him what you can and if he's hurt and you have to release him or put him on the IL if you're in a league with an IL spot and grab somebody else then you're not wasting um, as much value as if he's your you know third fourth fifth round pick um, I think I'd probably need to see him drop um, somewhere in like the the I don't know, man, like the one twenties, one thirties. I mean, right now Chris Davis is going uh in you know, in the TGFBI ADP, Chris Davis is one fifty-five. Um, and that's a forty plus home run bat. I mean, I don't know that I can take Stanton at a hundred if I can wait fifty picks and roll the dice on Chris Davis.
1: Yeah, uh, Davis is one that I like to, to compare. Miguel Sano at like one fifteen is a monster bat. You can get Franmel Reyes later on. There's a lot of uh, interesting power bats if you want, like, a similar yeah. uh, situation as uh, Giancarlo. I'm a big Giancarlo fan. I was I was uh, actually finally – I usually don't draft him early. When he was going in the fifth round. I was intrigued. Now it's getting a little questionable. It's almost like if I think I can handle the weight game, sure. Otherwise, I'll probably pass. With Giancarlo being out to at least start the season, you know, you have Mike Talkman there um, – I, I really don't think Clint Frazier ever gets a chance anymore. That's the, which like, is a, such crappy, a shame. Such crappy a shame. situation <laughs> the whole deal it makes no sense at all. Yeah. Um, and, 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 you know, eventually Aaron Hicks will be back. And there's other movement, like they're trying to get Andhar on the outfield, so on and so yeah. forth. Who who would you think is the beneficiary to maybe draft for right now?
2: You know, I think it depends on the size of the league. Uh, if I'm in a 12 team, I'll, I'll take a late flyer on uh, flyer on Talkman because he's he's got a spot. Uh, You know, according to roster resource right now, um, I mean, he is the left fielder. The issue, you know, I mean, I guess they have him slotted in at the bottom of the lineup, um, which, you know, it's still a good lineup. There's RBI opportunity. There's run scoring opportunity if he's hitting nine and you got LeMay, Hugh Judge, uh, Torres coming up after him. So if I'm in a 12 team league and one of my my last few picks, I'll take a shot on him because, you know, I think that he's, um, you know, he proved last year. That he can he can put up some numbers. Um, you know he's he's not somebody who's gonna run away with a cat run away uh, with a category for you, but you know he's a, a twenty two point eight o-, o swing guy, so he doesn't chase a lot outside of the zone. Eighty five point eight zone contact percentage. Um, he's got um, an eleven point five percent walk percentage, so he's gonna get on base. He's gonna make solid contact. Um, His ground ball percentage was down last year and his uh, fly ball percentage was up, which is why he knocked out a few more home runs than in years past. So I feel like there's, there's some minimal value and on a good offense like that, I'll take the accumulation um, in deeper leagues though. I got to tell you um, if you're like in a 15 teamer, still drafting like TGFBI towards the end, um, I kind of like taking a stab at, at Mike Ford, um, okay. you know, Ford's, uh, listed as a first baseman, so he can't really play in the outfield like Talkman, but he's a lefty. Um, he can slot in at DH uh, against righties, whereas, you know, Andahar is a righty. Uh, and Mike Ford's numbers last year, you know, he had a better barrel percentage than Mike Talkman. He had a higher exit velo than Mike Talkman. His X stats all higher than, than Mike Talkman's were. Uh, he's got a lower K percentage than Talkman does. He had a 301 ISO last year. Talkman was 227. Um, he also doesn't chase a lot of pitches outside of the zone. He has an 8.1 swinging swipe strike percentage, uh, 88.3 zone contact. So, you know, he's a big left-handed hitter with that short porch and right field in a deep league. I'm going to take my shot on him and see if he can get some DH at bats. And, you know, as we were mentioning streakiness early on, all it takes is to start the season with a couple home runs in your back pocket, uh, proving that you need to be in the lineup.
1: Totally. Uh, Ford, definitely worth the gamble. Uh, if Voight gets banged up again as well, Ford can slide in. And uh, see some definite playing time as the the power is legit with him. So would be easy to see. We'll stay with the pinstripes here. This one's kind of a done deal. It broke during my recording yesterday with James Anderson. Uh will get your opinion on this now. Luis Severino, uh, he had Tommy John surgery on Thursday as we are recording. He is in recovery. All reports were great, of course, coming back from the Yankees. But he's done till for all of this year until probably middle of next year or so. They're already missing James Paxson for a while. He said he's ahead of schedule, but um, that injury still scares me. So it looks like Jordan Montgomery and Jonathan Loisiga are sliding into the, the spots in the back of that rotation. How are you approaching this situation in New York?
2: Um, you know, I've always been I guess always, uh since two thousand seventeen, You know, I've I've been a Montgomery fan. I do like uh it's another one of those guys that, you know, I'm from New York. So the Yankees are on all the time. I saw him pitch a bunch during that season. I kind of like the way that he just approaches things on the mound. I like the way he pitches. I like the way he attacks. I like the way he sequences. Uh, he had a pretty good year in, in 2017, um, you know, 144 strikeouts and 155 innings, 3.88 ERA, 1.23 whip. Um, he's got a pretty solid curveball uh, that had, um, but you know, and a, at a at a decent change up too. It's that fastball that wasn't great. Um, but you know, since two thousand seventeen there have been a lot of bad fastball pitchers that have kind of shown that by utilizing the fastball up in the zone more and the breaking stuff low, that uh, they can kind of hide the fastball. So I'm cautiously optimistic on on Montgomery actually.
1: I'm with you. I grabbed him at the end of a I don't know if it was a, a qualify twelve a team qualifier or a fifteen team other league. I had too many leagues already this year. Um, but I have at least one Montgomery share for sure. I'm, I know him. That was before Severino's. That was just in the uh, wake of James Paxton. So I'm on board with Montgomery. He should be healthy and ready to roll. Uh, you got Loisita and some others that could be kind of moving around there. Eventually, uh, Paxton will be back. But Montgomery, I am with you. That should stick around for quite some time. So big yep. fan of that one.
2: And the, the key thing to remember about Loa Ziga or, or you know, um, Davey Garcia or whoever, if they bring it up, is we got Paxton coming back. But then also after 80 games, you got Domingo Herman coming back True. off suspension. So even if Paxton comes back and then you say, oh, you know, he's an injury prone pitcher and he's, he's, you know, maybe he gets hurt again. Well, if he comes back, pitches for a month or so, you know, month and a half, gets hurt, now you're almost got Domingo Herman taking that spot. So I think you're really looking at one spot in this rotation, at least for the season. But you know, um, you gotta kind of you gotta play for April first and then and then see how how players progress and who you're cutting and who you're
1: holding on to. Well, how about this guy going to Cincinnati here? Alena Suarez coming off a near fifty home run season last year. People were hyped that he had a swimming pool accident, had surgery on his shoulder. We saw, like, pictures last week that he's taking ground balls. Everyone's getting pretty pretty pumped up on it. And now we're getting reports he still can't swing or throw, which is concerning as all get-up to me. Uh, shoulder injuries are not good at all. He's going around pick 95 over the last two weeks in online drafts and FEC. As low as 129. I was pretty happy about the idea of him coming back. Now I don't even know if I can draft him. What's your thoughts on Suarez?
2: Yeah, he's another tough one. I mean, they're referring to it as loose cartilage in his right shoulder. Um, obviously, he's a righty, so that's his his throwing shoulder. Um, as a right-handed hitter, too, you get you're getting a lot of power from the the top hand. Um, so, I mean, it's it's tough. Um, you know, if the price is right, um, if he starts dropping that that hot, that max pick you were talking about around the one twenties, one thirties. You know, I'm I'm willing to roll the dice as we get and buy in as we get to that type of ADP. Uh just thinking that, you know, if he gets hurt, um and I need to I need to move on, then so be it. I need to move on. I mean, you know, you're you're looking right now in the one hundred thirty ADPs of like the you know, Tommy Edmonds and Danny Santana's, uh Kevin Biggio. So I would argue none of those guys are really a sure thing. Um and so I'm, I'm OK taking Suarez in that in that same range and, you know, just kind of hoping for the the shoulder to be good.
1: Yeah, the talent's no doubt. It's just a matter of what's that shoulder doing. So I guess we'll have to wait and see how that keeps developing this spring. Uh, speaking of shoulders, J.D. Davis of the New York Mets uh, left a couple days ago. The shoulder injury MRAs came back with no structural damage. But what are you doing with J.D. Davis? You know, Yohannes Espedes looks like he's ready to rock and roll this year in a contract season. You still have uh, Dom Smith out there. They say it might platoon with him. Playing time might not be as clear-cut as we once hoped for the stat cast darling J.D. Davis. Are you still trying to draft him with upside this year?
2: Yeah, I mean, I'm still interested in J.D. Davis. I mean, I think, you know, all he's ever really done is is hit. I mean, he hit throughout the minor league career. There was a brief – his his first call-up with Houston – He struggled a little bit, but, um, you know, I mean, for the majority of his career, he's proven he can hit. Um, You know, he's got some uh, ability to move over the field. The Mets have a long history of having guys get banged up. Um, You know, listen, I'd love to see Cespedes out there, um, you know, Mm -hmm. for the majority of the season. Um, I can't – I'm not going to shy away from J.D. Davis because of Cespedes. Um, if it happens, so be it. It's been a while since he's been on the field, um, so I don't consider that a, a major threat right now. Um, especially when you look at where JD Davis is is going in drafts. I mean, you know, in the in the TG FBI draft, um, he is his average pick is 176. So nice. you're already talking late enough in drafts where he's going that I still think the upside is is worth it. Um, especially because you're getting that multi-position eligibility, um, and he's got places where the Mets will find a way to get his bat in the lineup if he's healthy. I, I truly believe if he hits, he's going to play. I still see a path for you know 450, 500 at bats, which is you know enough to for him to post you know 20 plus home runs and be worth a pick near 200. If you're looking for some power,
1: uh, in the, in the NFBC right now, JD Davis is going to pick one 180. At no. 179, at 179 Justin Turner. Would you rather have Davis or Turner?
2: I think, I think Turner. Um, no. I just kind of trust the at bats more. Um, the mm-hmm. offense there is is better, um, so I think he'll get some more counting stats. Um, obviously, you hate to lose that position flexibility that that JD Davis has. It's always good, um, especially if you're in like a daily moves league or something like that. Uh, but I, but I'd go. I would go Turner.
1: Another third base outfielder going eight picks behind him, uh, Hunter Dozier. Dozier or Davis?
2: Um, ooh, that's a tough one. I think they're very uh, similar players. I think I think right now, I think I'd go Dozier. I'm buying mm-hmm. in the last year, and that's another one where if you're giving me the same multi position eligibility, I'll take the locked in plate appearances. Yeah, um, I'll say to really go for the it. difference
1: the difference between the two is Dozier's. Pretty much locked into everyday at bat, so I'm with you exactly. There. Yeah, yeah. Um, let's go to the L.A. Dodgers for me. I just wanted to bring him up, Dustin May. I've talked about him a ton on this show. I'm a huge Dustin May fan. Reports came out recently that he's going to start the season in the minor leagues. I tried to twist it with a grain of salt. It means they're going to keep him as a starter, so that's good. But um, now there's reports that he's got you know side discomfort. He hasn't resumed throwing yet. That's going to set him back at all. Uh, any, Are you going to take any chances on him in a draft and just try to hold on to him, hoping he comes up early, or is this kind of scaring you off?
2: Um, I don't think I'm taking chances in a redraft league, and it's not so much um, the side issue, even though that doesn't help. It's I just don't know where he's going to throw. I mean, you've got Kershaw, Bueller, Price, Wood, Urias, Gonsolin, Stripling um those guys are all arguably ahead of him for starts um and you know the way that the Dodgers like to kind of manipulate the innings so even if you you know Dustin May gets called up he's on your roster he's gonna get a start he's up how long is he up for how many starts are you getting are they just gonna send him back down to the minors because if they send him to the minors you can't throw him in an IL spot you know you've got to just leave him sitting on your bench so for me, I think this year in a redraft only league, that's a, you know, that's a headache that I don't know that I want to deal with. I don't I don't see him with the upside of somebody who's going to, you know, get a couple good starts and then all of a sudden be locked into the rotation and throw 120 innings for the major league club this year.
1: Yeah, it it's harder and harder every day for me to to be willing to take him. I had some of him earlier cuz I thought there was a chance he'd start the year in the rotation and then that's been uh Poo-pooed away. So yeah. that's uh re- really, really sucking there. Uh, last bit of news here. There's other news out there, but he's just the relevant ones at this point in time. Uh Tommy Pham this kind of stinks. He played through an elbow injury all last year. We saw it affect him at times offensively uh for the Rays now with the Padres, and he's already showing discomfort in that elbow when they're kind of, you know, playing it slow with him to try to keep him healthy. But the fact it's lingering now, you almost think he's a New York Yankee, but he's playing for the Padres. Um is this scaring you off at all? Because he's up to pick 71-ish right now. He's going right after Whit Merrifield, right before Ro- uh, Lewis Robert, Ramon Lariano, and company in the outfield. Uh, is this concerning you at all?
2: Um today, right now, no. Um I, I you know I I did a little digging as much as I could. I mean, this is you know one of those things where we're we're getting some vague coach speak from the organization. But right now, what I read is that they're that they're referring to it as as general soreness. Um, Now you know he's he had an elbow issue. He's going through a rehab. He's going through a, a throwing program. I think anytime you're trying to you know rehab a ligament, soreness to me isn't isn't a concern. I mean, soreness when you're working back from a prior injury would be normal. If it was pain, then you know I'm starting to get a little bit more concerned. you know he's also an outfielder, he's not a pitcher, so um, soreness in your throwing arm is not as big of a deal as somebody who's got to throw you know eighty to 100, hundred hundred and twenty pitches in a in a day so if I take them at face value that this is just soreness that they're monitoring as he recovers i'm not I'm not too concerned uh, but it's definitely something that I think is worth keeping an eye on over the next few days
1: yeah it'll be worth monitoring for sure uh let's go to the TGFBI FBI now this has been a fun one, justin Mason year three of this great fantasy baseball invitational he's created that uh, has been great my thirty year doing it is this your first or second it's my, year
2: it's my first year in it and i'm uh I've been watching from afar the last few years and i kind of am loving this opportunity to to get in and um and you know try my hand at it
1: yeah, it's a ton of fun. I love how it's grown every year, and uh, I think it's fun. This year, I'm in a league where I know only like two or three guys, which is fun for me because I love getting to know so many more people in the industry because there's a ton of great minds that uh, are out there. What league are you in this year?
2: Uh, I'm in League 19.
1: League 19. All right. Uh, who is in your league? Let's uh, let's just start with the basics here.
2: Um. Let's see, I can go, I'm trying to pull up the document and see if I can go through the whole thing. Um. So, uh, man, what is, Ed, what is Eddie's last name? Eddie
1: Alvarez? Um, Almaguerre? Yeah,
2: yeah, who's like, I think he was the number one overall player yep. based on his last three-year record, um, He's the so OG. that's fun. And then Adam Adam Ronis is in the league, and I think he was nice. uh, somewhere top 10 in his overall performance um and then you know there's a couple uh there's a couple nice a couple guys that i know that i um i read some of their stuff um on twitter um so it's justin uh i think it's paradis but uh from uh pitcher list uh mike maher's in there eric halterman's in there um steven uh Stephen humans is in there cory steiner uh so it's a it's a pretty solid league i mean you know there are some guys i was familiar with before some guys i wasn't but just kind of seeing the way that that everybody's approaching it um you know it's it's interesting to be in a league with a lot of sharp minds
1: no doubt about it um what round are you guys in right now
2: uh, i'm about to make uh, my 11th round pick um oh, i'm i was picking out of the 7 spot so i'm pick uh, it's pick 157 right now
1: i have the 7th spot and i'm 4 picks from my 11th round pick too so before you make your 11th pick, why don't you sure. give us your, your roster so far? Who, who have you taken?
2: All right. Uh, so I'll go down through it in order. So at, at seven, I took Mookie Betts. Uh, 24, I went Chris Sale. Uh, and then Altuve at 37. Blackman at 54. Nelson Cruz, 67. Tim Anderson at 84. Mike Moustakis at 97. So that gave me all hitters and Sale. Um, and then I loaded up on, uh, or I went all pitching the last three spots and took Zach Gowan at 114, uh, bought into the Edwin Diaz rebound at 127, um, and then took Kyle Hendricks at 144 to um, give to solidify the ratios. I figure, you know, him and Sale, I I don't mind as a as a pairing because Sale will get me a boatload of K's, um, and he can balance out for Hendricks, you know. Lack of K's, but the it's a real solid uh, ratio floor for me.
1: Are you uh, assuming since you took sale, you have no concerns about him? Do you?
2: Um, I wouldn't say no concerns, um, but I just felt like you know my my strategy going in was I was gonna I was gonna get an ace, um, and then I like a lot of the starters going in the range where I took some, and then some guys still coming up later, like around the two hundreds, that are some high upside guys, a lot of young guys with, with some, with a ceiling. So I knew I wanted a, an ace an anchor and I was hoping it was going to be DeGrom at seven. Um, when he went right before me, I just, I thought, you know, I I'll take the upside over say of sale over, you know, the, the Beavers and Flaherty's and, you know, trying to wait around for those guys. I think that when he's on, he is arguably the starting pitcher. Number one, And, you know, I know that they're taking every precaution possible with his arm. Um, I'm just going to roll the dice and and kind of hope that it's not a multi-year thing. I think, you know, he is a very competitive dude and last year seemed to bother him. And I don't see any reason why he wouldn't have taken every precaution possible to make sure that whatever it was that was, you know, plaguing him is fixed.
1: All right, I see you got a little less than twenty minutes for this pick. I found your uh, your page here. Oh, so nice. I'll, cu- I'll ask a couple more questions before we make Classic. the pick. Um, I had the fortune of having Jacob Degrom fall into my lap at seven. Mm-hmm. If you, if you, if Cole or Degrom would have been available, would you have ta- still taken bets, or do you take one of the big guns?
2: I take one of the I take one of the big arms. I still, okay. even with the way it it fell out for me, I still like the idea of of grabbing an ace and then. Loading up on the bats and trying to start grabbing pitchers around you know around seven eight and nine. I think that's my my strategy right now this year.
1: Yeah, I don't mind that at all. um When you went through here, I like the Tim Anderson pick. I think he's like sneaky upside in that one. I love Moose. I'm huge on him. I I got Zach Gallon at the same exact spot you did, nice. which is kind of funny. That's the only pick we share. But um I like I, I have a lot of these guys I, in other leagues. But I love I, was,
2: I pushed it with uh, my goal was my. I wanted Wheeler. I was actually going to take Wheeler at, at 97. I'm, I'm really, really high on him this year. And I just, I had an eye on the ADP and I kept seeing that his ADP, even in TGFBI was around like 118. And I was just, I got greedy and I thought, okay, I'm at 114. His ADP is close to 120. Maybe I'll push it. Um, and Wheeler went two picks before, before me. And I, I took gallon as my, consolation prize and i'm i'm not I'm not too sad about it i think sale gallon and Hendricks um gives me a real solid floor of starters and then i can load up on the upside guys and hope that you know two or three of them um really pop
1: yeah no doubt about it and uh when you took edwin diaz it's funny because i took gallon and there's like four closers on the board i'm like okay i'd love diaz to come to me and then rogers diaz jansen and someone else went off the board so i took brad Hand there, which I'm not like in love with Brad Hand, but he was one of the last big closers left. So right, in an overall you, content, you, you need know, you never
2: want to root for. You never want to root for injuries. Um, but yeah. the Emmanuel is it? Cla- I don't know. Is it Classe? Classe. Classe. Yeah, yeah. So the Emmanuel Classe injury right now, uh, at least it it gives a little more breathing room uh, for Hand. It's not one less guy breathing down breathing down his neck. I was happy to get Diaz where I got him. I saw, you know, um, Ariel Cohen, who um, is also writing for Roto Baller right now. He's obviously a huge Mets fan, but he took Diaz in the seventh and was super happy about being able to get Diaz there. Um, so the fact that I was able to get him um, in the ninth, um, I just, I felt like it was really good value there.
1: Yeah, no doubt about it. So you have one closer, three starters, couple outfielders, second base, shortstop, technically second or third, and your utility filled up, where are you going with your 11th round pick?
2: Um, So I've I've narrowed it down to uh, three different directions. So the first, I could go catcher and take Wilson Contreras. Mm -hmm. Um, It's a two-catcher league, so I do like the idea of having one solid option. I was not planning to take a catcher this early um but you know, Wilson Contreras is now about 30 picks beyond his adp. Mm-hmm. um He's you know normally going in like the in like 129 130 mm-hmm. um and I'm at 157. Uh, I have him as in my in my rankings. um I have him as the fourth best catcher still just ahead of Mitch Garver. I kind of have them back to back. So, I could go there. Um I hadn't planned on on doing that. Another could go but hadn't planned on is I told myself I wouldn't draft Danny Santana. Uh but he's just sitting there staring at me with his dual position eligibility and potential 2020 season. Um and I like I like where I'm at. Um with stolen bases in terms of, you know, bets and Altuve and Tim Anderson. Are you know bets and Anderson are probably twenty stolen base guys, or close to it Altuve is, you know ten to maybe fifteen, but probably around ten um but I could use another guy um to give me twenty some odd stolen bases. I was kind of hoping that Edmund or kingery would would fall here um and they didn't so in that same vein, I'm also kind of buying in on the Lorenzo Kane bounce back. Um, and I know his ADP is, is lower, uh, or, you know, it's 182, but right now in terms of just TGFBI, um, you know, he's been going, uh, let's see his TGFBI ADP is 158. Um, and he's been drafted in 14 leagues and I'm at 157. So it plays into his ADP in the TGFBI leagues. I think that, you know, he was hurt last year. So I think that Twenty stolen bases is maybe his floor if he's healthy, and he could push twenty five plus. Uh, and I'm just not sure how many guys left have that in them.
1: Yeah, uh, the the Kane one's very very intriguing. Like, uh, yeah, I I won't tell you how I rank them. I'll see you pick first, but uh, the Kane one's very intriguing. So go ahead, who are you taking with your 11th pick?
2: Oh man, we're gonna we're gonna put it on the spot. Uh, I'm definitely. I just can't buy into Danny Santana. I um, nah, me neither. I'm, I'm sure he's a, a great guy, um, but I just it's too much of the late blooming for me. Um, oh, I should have mentioned also uh, what are your what are your thoughts on uh, Kyle Tucker?
1: Okay, so I had James Anderson from RotoWire on the show yesterday on Wednesday, mm-hmm. and I've been so back and forth on Kyle Tucker because I know the potential is huge, but is he going to play? So on and so right. forth. He says everything they see scouting wise last year you're not going to see in the big leagues. Like he could have, he could still hit like 25 home runs, but he's not stealing all those bags in the bigs. Like he'd probably be more like a 15 to 20 steals guy, which is still awesome. Mm -hmm. But uh, you're hoping for the best case scenario, and you're hoping for playing time. So he's one of those, I guess, that if he if he blasts off like he could, he's a league winner. But there's a ton of question marks and where he's getting drafted, it's not worth it to me. And James kind of felt the same way.
2: Yeah, that's he's out there for, for me, and that's probably why that's why I didn't even bring him up to you to start it off. I just I, I don't think I can do it. Uh I'm between Kane and Wilson Contreras. Um and if I look at my plan for the next two or three rounds, depending on who I pick here,
1: um See, I'm like you. I usually don't take catchers early, but a two catcher league with an overall, I try to get one of the big. Like I took Gary Sanchez in the seventh, and I never do yeah. that. But it's one of those. Uh, I usually punt catchers, even a two catcher league. But I think it just sets you back so far. Like I'm not saying you have to get Contreras, but pretty soon you have to start getting somebody. Yeah, and um, that definitely changes things instead of waiting forever.
2: Yeah, I've I've got some guys um, still still left out there that I like. I mean. Realist- the only the only four catchers have gone in my league so far um okay. so I think there are some some guys out there um but oh man um <laughs> it's this is the thing right you get down to it and then it's uh it's tough i think i'm gonna i think you know my gut is telling me that as much as I like Kane that this might be a a little early to bank on those stolen bases to just pull for the stolen bases. I think I'm going to take Contreras and and lock in uh and lock in one of my catches.
1: Yeah, I don't hate it. It's it's a big time catcher. You're locking in there. I like the Kane upside. I think there's a lot to like about it, but uh, I think Contreras is uh, the way to go in this. Out of those three guys you mentioned, I think that's definitely the way to go. So Jose Contreras or Wilson Contreras. Sorry, I love it. Uh, really intriguing play there. Can't wait to see where you go. Oh, auto pick. Edwin Encarnacion, right away. You gotta love it. Guys on auto yeah. pick are, are God's blessings to draft. You know, um, I, I, man,
2: one of the night, like a couple nights ago, I was three picks away, and it was, you know, just I had to had to go to sleep, put four guys in the queue, set the auto, and I, this was Severino was still at the top of the board because they hadn't taken him out yet, and I oh, went man. to bed freaking out that I was gonna have screwed something up and wake up with with Severino on my team.
1: <laughs> Don't you love the world of fantasy baseball? we live in? It. Yeah. It's so amazing. Um, so, yeah, TGFPI, it's been pretty awesome. We'll uh, revisit this at uh, uh, some other time and see how things keep going out. But uh, it's fun having you in the seventh spot and seeing, watching your draft board and, and seeing the different way it moves compared to where I'm sitting at right now. But I, I wanted to talk to you about a couple of things you're working on. You talked about them at the, at the beginning of the show. So we'll talk with uh, about OAA right out the gate you mentioned how you're seeing it outs above average and uh, the new additions they're making. So what new additions are they making that are uh, making you dig into it more often?
2: So I think that the key thing was the, um, was the inclusion of the infielders, right? Cause it, it's great to have OAA for outfield. It's just nice to see which guys are actually, um, you know, recording outs above the average for their position. I mean, You know, we, we tend to know who the good outfielders are because we, We see the highlights all the time, Um, but with infielders, it's actionable for so many more positions because of how much it impacts a pitcher. You know, you look at a pitcher with a ground ball percentage that's around 50% or over, he's relying on that infield defense a lot to ensure, you know, his ratios to ensure you know, um, his wins, his innings, all that sort of stuff. Um, so the more information we get on the actual quality of a defense, uh, the the better. And what I even haven't even begun to dug into is that uh, to, to dig into, sorry, is that OAA actually not only will say like, um, you know, so for example, one of the the biggest things that I found that was interesting was um, it'll break down by the position within the position that that person is is at too. So, for example, um, when they look at, um, like, Jonathan Scope, right? Jonathan Scope ranked 29th overall um, on the OAA leaderboard. But if you click on his individual breakdown, it actually shows where on the field, not just the position of second base, his best plays came from. And that, essentially, he, he was most effective as an infielder when he was shifted to basically be playing over the bag at second base. So I haven't even begun to look at that where you're thinking like, okay, so, you know, as a normal second baseman playing, um, you know, the position that were, or where he's set on maybe 75% of plays, he was an average fielder. But when they, when they shift him, he becomes above average in the shift based on positioning. So, you know, because this is the first year they've done that, it's like, is that is that fluky? Um, you know, is, there, is that kind of actionable information? Um, or is it just kind of a way, is it propping up an, an otherwise average defender? So it's been interesting to kind of dig into that and compare it to, you know, UZR and some of the other fielding metrics and try to see if it's, um, you know, how much weight to put on it.
1: Uh, so when when you're developing these for pitchers, uh, you said you broke some of them down. What are you trying to to gain out of looking at the pitcher situation? Because like when I go to the outs above average leaderboard, it just the first page is you know Victor Robles, Javi Baez, Kevin Kiermeyer, all these guys. When you're right. looking at it from a pitcher standpoint, what are you trying to garner out of that?
2: So on the on the tab, you know you can set it to when you go on there, um, you can set it to view and you can set it to pitcher. And it will actually tell you, um, you know, as it says, this table shows the performance of the defense behind the pitcher while he was on the mound, not the fielding performance of the pitcher himself. So you can see the way the defense performed while the pitcher was pitching. So one of the guys, you know, I spoke to you about earlier, the first one that pops off the page is Dakota Hudson is number was number one last year in OAA while he was on the mound. The defense when he was on the mound, was 16 outs above average. The number two pitcher in baseball was Miles Michaelis, and the defense behind him was eight outs above average. So the defense behind Dakota Hudson was two times better than the defense behind the second best or the the second the number two pitcher in all of baseball. So to me, that's a ridiculous outlier. There's there's that's not sustainable. No matter what type of pitcher Dakota Hudson is, at some point that regresses to the mean, um, which is why, you know, not that I was in on Dakota Hudson to begin with, but why he's kind of a prime example of of a guy that I think OAA is is telling us, you know, to to stay away from or to pump the brakes on a little bit.
1: And ironically, on the same team, the St. Louis Cardinals. So uh, something to keep in mind there as well.
2: Yeah, that's another cool thing about about OAA is, you know, when you have the the view tab, you can view it by fielding team. Um and then obviously, you know, if you view it by fielding team, the Cardinals are the num- were the number one team by OAA by a full 9 outs last year, which is why a lot of their pitchers were were higher. Um and you know, that's because of the quality of of that infield behind them. I mean, You know, you look at, you know, uh, Colton Wong, uh, Paul DeYoung was seventh overall. Colton Wong was 13th. Carpenter was 25th. Goldschmidt was 33rd. So that's any St. Louis Cardinals pitcher is going to have the value of that defense behind them.
1: Gotcha, gotcha. Uh, You mentioned the likes of, say, a uh, Luke Weaver, and he comes up on the list. I just saw him. He had, I believe, seven outs above average is what they're showing Mm -hmm. here what are you uh, getting out of Luke Weaver that got your attention
2: um so so Luke Weaver was somebody I was interested in just because he's you know he's kind of being discussed as this uh prime sleeper right now um so I wanted to see um I wanted to see what what if there was anything actionable with Luke Weaver in terms of um this being something that we could we could buy into um i think the key for me was then Using the defensive metric, OAA itself doesn't explain everything, but it says, okay, um, this pitcher got better than average defense or below average defense. Why do we think that is? For Weaver in particular, I think it's he changed his pitch mix. So in the second half of, of 2018, he was a, a four-seam fastball changeup curveball guy. Um, and in 2019, he started adding a cutter, And the cutter replaced his curveball, basically, um, which was his it was his primary pitch for just like a get me over strike. And that pitch posted a a 263 batting average against a 158 ISO. So it was huge for limiting contact. So when you look at it and then you say, okay, so he adds a pitch which is designed to get soft contact, which then is a pitch that requires um, or is then benefited by having a a good defense behind you. So then that tells me a little bit more about whether that's actionable for Luke Weaver or not. And last year the Diamondbacks had the fifth best defense based on OAA. So, you know, you got a pitcher throwing a contact, getting ground balls, solid defense behind him. That tells me that a lot of that success is actually something that can be sustainable.
1: Okay. I like that. Uh, Another interesting name, on the list that's been kind of depends on what camp you sit in is sonny gray some people love him some people not so much another guy seven outs above average mm-hmm. um i'm seeing like 92 percent um success rate is estimated success rates 90 percent. so for the most part seem pretty good but i know there's a yeah. lot of uh, mixed reviews on sonny gray what were you seeing on him
2: um so so i looked at that and I was surprised because I, I, get, I don't think you we normally think of the Reds as having a great defense. They did have a top-10 defense based on, on OAA last year. And then you dig into it and you're like, okay, part of the reason for that is Jose Iglesias at shortstop. Um, they played Jose Iglesias for most of the time at shortstop last year. He was OAA's ninth-ranked overall fielder. Um, if you use UZR, he's a 5.9 UZR at, at short. Um, you know, they're bringing in Freddy Galvis this year, which isn't a major drop off, but it's not Jose Iglesias. Um, and then if they're fully healthy, they have Mike Moustakis playing at second base. Um, so Moustakis, um had a full season at second base, he was below average defender at second base. Uh, so now you start to see that that defense that Gray had last year might not be the same defense that he has this year in terms of overall quality. And then you look at the fact that in 2018, his overall babib was 326. And in 2019, his babib was 255. So he was getting already crazy lucky last year in terms of babib. If you go to his StatCast page and even look by pitch, the batting average against on his curve was 131. The batting average against on his slider was 117. Those just aren't, they're not sustainable numbers. They're not in line with his career record um, or his career track record. Uh, so I, I think you have to anticipate some, some Babib regression and the potentially worse defense behind him. So that causes me to pump the brakes a little bit on believing um, some of what was there last year. Now, again, it's not to say he's a bad pitcher. Uh, but I'm not buying a, a sub three ERA.
1: And definitely, if uh, the Babbitt increases like it should, and has a worse defense, uh, lots lots to point in that range. So that's interesting to look at because I, I've looked at the Babbitt, in most scenarios, I haven't I haven't thought about the defense the way it describes it here. So interesting way to go about it. Uh, let's look at a couple in the reverse direction here. Adrian Hauser. Uh, let's talk about a guy that does not get many outs above average. Actually, doesn't get any. It appears. What uh, does this give you intrigue to maybe buy into Hauser or just give you more concern for Hauser?
2: I got to tell you, uh, I'm, I'm big on Hauser uh, coming into this year. Um, I, I wish I could, you know, I've got, I've got reasons, um, you know, I don't know if they're all rational or not. Um, maybe it's a little bit of just, you know, you want to have a guy on your team who, you know, throws up on the field in the middle of the game and you just, you just pull <laughs> for a guy like that. Um you know, but as you mentioned, he was, he was five outs um, below average last year. Um, and um, a lot of that has to do with um, – uh, let me go to his page real quick. Um, there's – I think there's an improved defense behind him. So right now they have um, Eric Sogard penciled in at third base. He was the 27th best infielder in OAA last year. Um, Travis Shaw was 70th. So that's an improvement. Um, You've got Justin Smoke, who is an above-average first baseman, now likely going to play majority of the games at at first base as a lefty, so he'll be in against righties. Um, Keston Hira was the 130th ranked fielder in OAA. I looked at a bunch of, you know, I, I don't have as much of a knowledge of his minor league fielding as you know some of the minor league guys, but I read a bunch of his reports. He doesn't seem to be that much of a below-average fielder. You'd have to assume he gets a little bit more comfortable um, at the major league level. So you've got improvements at two positions with new fielders, and then you've got a likely improvement um, with a young player. And then whenever Luis Urias is healthy, um, he was a much better fielder by OAA than Orlando Garcia last year. So you have upgrades at all four positions, um, on the field, and that's before you even get into the fact that I just like a lot of what Hauser does. Um, now, Hauser is a, a pitcher who only has a 9.6 swing strike percentage um, and a low 27.50 swing. Um, he has a 50 uh, 53.4 ground ball percentage, so he induces weak ground ball contact. So when you have a pitcher who induces lots of weak ground ball contact, who was getting Below average defense behind him last year, but still put up a 372 ERA and is now going to get better, arguably better defense behind him this year. Um, I really don't see why people are starting to, you know, predict a a mid fours, high fours ERA. I don't know if it's 372, but I I don't see any reason why he can't hover around four or or just under 4 and i think that you know he's not a guy who's going to give you a lot of k's but but i do like him as a as a late round option he's got a great you know two seamer sinker depending on uh you know where you're looking at and what and what it um what they refer to it as but it induces a lot of of weak contact has a lot of
1: run on it talking about weak contact and an improved milwaukee defense does this make you like uh, Brandon Woodruff more, or is this more a Hauser thing?
2: Um, no, I think it applies both ways. I mean, I think Hauser is a little more reliant on, on defense uh, than Woodruff, who definitely misses more bats than than Hauser. But I would say I'm I'm in the camp that is buying into Woodruff more than the camp that, that's
1: fading him. Gotcha. Uh, and for the last one here, is it's kind of fun as I've been scrolling around now, Really, never even looking at this page kind of goes back to the beginning of the podcast where I'm still learning so many stats. Um, the very last guy, there's 277 players, pitchers, uh-huh. pitchers on this list, and he has minus nine outs above average. No one else has minus nine, and this could be because of that bad Reds defense we talked about or some Indians defense as well. But it can't be this bad for Trevor Bauer again in 2020, can it?
2: Um, no. I don't think so. Uh, I don't think it can. Um, What's interesting is that, you know, Trevor Bauer first came up um, um, on Rotoballer also about a month ago. Um, Riley Merack wrote an article on um, flyball metrics and looking at positive regression candidates for flyball metrics. And he, um, his article points to Bauer as a positive regression for flyball metrics. And then you also see that on top of the fact that Um, His fly ball rate was uncharacteristically high in terms of his career marks. Um, And he gave up um, 20 home runs uh, after giving up 19 in the previous three years combined. Um, Then you also look at the fact that he technically, according to OAA got was the beneficiary of the worst defense of any pitcher who was measured. And then you have to think there's positive regression coming that way. I think, it's just now coming in on too many different planes with too many different types of stats to suggest that, that Bauer won't regress, um, regress to the mean. So uh, won't kind of improve on his performance from, from
1: last year. Um, so you mentioned how you've been digging into this. You, you, there's new developments in it. What's next for what you're going to work on with, uh, for ball or just in general, what do you, trying to completely like take out of this metric and use
2: um, we're the next thing I'm doing is looking at, at new arms or sort of new uh, teams, uh, pitchers on new teams and trying to see what the OA well, about that. the fielding defense would suggest about, about where they're going. Um, so for example, you know, everybody keeps talking about um, Marcus Stroman and Oh, Marcus Stroman's in the NL now. Um, and, you know, He's he's throwing the slider more, and they're expecting you know a little bit more um, uh, progression from him, more positive results. Well, the Blue Jays had the twelfth best defense last year, according to OAA, and the Mets had the twenty fourth. So, um, and the difference was in in runs. Also, is that the the Blue Jays were five runs of, five sorry, in outs. Where Blue Jays were five outs above average and the Mets were 13 outs below average. So that's an 18 out swing. So if you're saying that Stroman is going to use that slider more and induce more ground ball contact, well now he's sure he's off the turf, but he's got a worse defense behind him. So I'm not so sure I'm buying into Marcus Stroman in the NL is better than Marcus Stroman in the AL. So things like that will is what I'm digging into right now and trying to identify some guys whose moves I think were beneficial for them um, and some guys whose moves may have been, um, you know, kind of like horizontal or, or, maybe even put them in a worse spot.
1: Nice. Looking forward to checking that out. Uh, last bit of a conversation for the tonight's show uh, barrel growth. I talked about earlier barrels seems to be like the stickiest, most consistent kind of mm-hmm. stat cast metric that we can use to show positive hitting. Basically I the it's no simple way. I can say like really good quality of contact a good barrel rate and there's guys that barrel rates continue to grow up year by year go down year by year fluctuate year by year lots of weird variances all over the place you've been digging in on guys uh, with growth and regression so uh, how about you give me a couple of um, guys you've seen in the let's start with the positive glass half full situation um give me a couple guys that you've seen some positive growth in barrel rates
2: um so i'll i'll take this opportunity to to get on my soapbox for somebody who I apparently am the the I an unwilling or uh champion of. I did not know that I was gonna continuously be so much higher on Rugnet Odor than uh-huh, almost Ruby. anybody else. Um but you know Odor um Odor was the uh the s- seventh he had the seventh uh best growth in barrels. Um, His barrels per batted ball event percentage in 2018 was 7.2. In 2019, it was 13.6. So he jumped uh, 6.4% in terms of barrels per batted ball event. Um, He has an 89.4 average exit velocity. Um, He had 113.1 max exit velocity, um, which was... Uh, basically only one mile per hour below Miguel Sano, who everybody says is, you know, one of the most powerful hitters in in baseball. Um, And then you look at, you know, it caused me to dig in on him a little bit more. You see Odor's O-swing has dropped in three consecutive years. Yes, his O-swing is still 33%. It's high, um, but it's a positive plate discipline metric. His uh, walk percentage has increased over the last three years. So he's taking more walks, swinging outside the zone less incrementally over the last three years. He's consistently hitting for um, more barrels. He had 86th percentile hard hit percentage. He had a nearly five degree increase in his launch angle. And he has stolen, uh, sorry, he's hit for 30 home runs and stolen at least 10 bases in three of the last four years. So a thirty ten guy going outside of the top two hundred, um, and a guy who's shown better plate discipline metrics and consistent barrel contact. Uh, I I think I'm I think I'm in on that.
1: Yeah, I, I'm with you. I, I love me some rookie. He's going about pick two thirty three right now. Over the last two weeks in an FPC online uh, championships, it, it's one of those things. If your team is comfortable in batting average. I love getting the power-speed combo. Uh, one thing I talk about on this show and other shows a lot is I want guys that can get me double digits in steals as many times as I can. Like, you can't do it yeah. with everybody. Like, I get it. You just can't. But especially in these later-round guys when you're taking gambles on bench players or later just options, like a, a room gets you 10 steals. You know, you go get a Trent grisham White gets you 15-plus steals. Mm-hmm. Things like that to just help your team out so much more in an overall contest. I love Odor. It's one of those things. We've seen him do it in the past. And you mentioned the gains he had and all of his, his uh his hitting stats, all the the barrels, the EVs, all that stuff you mentioned. If he can just put it together maybe at 250, my goodness, what he could do and, for your team.
2: And it's funny you say two fifty, because so Odor hit two oh five last year. His yeah, K percentage that. his K percentage was over thirty percent. And all of the underlying metrics, as we mentioned, were either the same as in the past or better than in the past. And he just, his strike percentage was an anomaly. His strikeout percentage, sorry, was an anomaly. Um, the year before, 2018, his strikeout percentage was 7% points lower. He hit 253. And in 2017, he also hit 204. So everybody has this notion that he's a 200 hitter. Well, in 2016, he hit 271. And in 2015, he hit 261. Um, so basically, in three of the last five years, he's hit 250 or better. So he he has it in him, and he's shown in the past that he can be a 250 hitter. He's only 26 years old. Sometimes I think we, we think that he's, because he's been around for, you know, almost six years, he broke through in 2014, that he's way older than he is but you know you're giving me a 26 year old uh, hitter who's hit 250 or above in um the majority of his major league baseball seasons who's a 30 10 threat i'll take that and and bank on that over the 2 years that he was hitting at 200
1: yeah and it's 428 excel bacon i am a big excel bacon fan and you know when i see 428 on a guy that produced a 205 batting average Um, I I like what what could happen if he just, you know, just some minor tweaks could go a long, long way. So uh, I'm a big Ruge fan with you as well. He's sucking me back in. Uh, Who's another guy that gained pretty well this year?
2: Um, Another guy that's being drafted uh, regularly um, in in 12 team drafts um, would be Dansby Swanson. Um, He had a 6% growth. Uh, He was 4.1% barrels per batted ball event in 2018, and he went to 10.1%. I think Swanson is really interesting. We've talked about how deep shortstop is um, this year and how, you know, you can fill your middle infield um, with a, a shortstop late in the drafts. Um, I, I, I really like Swanson. Um, that, those numbers caused me to dig in on him. Um, you know, he was, he, on July 23rd, he hurt his heel. He missed a month, and then he returned. And when he returned, his stats were all out of whack. His strikeout percentage was like 13% points higher than than before. Um, he hit 17 homers before he got hurt. He hit zero after he got hurt. So I look at the full season and I say, all right, that injury definitely affected him. Jeff Zimmerman's done some great work about how uh, playing through injuries hurts guys' numbers. But I look at a guy whose hard hit percentage has increased in each of the last three years. His ground ball percentage has decreased in each of the last 3 years his zone swing percentage has increased so he's being a little bit more aggressive um, his exit velocity improved his barrels jumped and his his xba his x batting average was 271 which was compared to his actual batting average of 251 so you're telling me that i have a 260 270 hitter who you know could actually pop 20 to 25 Home runs and and steal ten plus bases, um, hitting at the top of a of a really good order. I mean, let's say he goes twenty ten and and hits two sixty with you know seventy RBIs, eighty runs. I mean, that's well worth a pick around two hundred. And he's going well after that right
1: now. I absolutely love Dancy Swanson. I've talked about him many times. Uh, you look like you said his Statcast page is ridiculous. Uh, someone on Twitter today compared him to Glaber Torres and he's equal to or outgains him in almost every stat cast metric, which is beautiful to see. It was a matter of he was hurt last year, especially in the second half of the season and um, you know, hitting hit towards when he hit it towards the top of the order, he was doing really, really well bottom of the order. Not so much right now. He's projected to hit like maybe six, which would be pretty good. I take that in a heartbeat. So I love Dansby. I think he's a great middle infield option or even an extra shortstop. Like it's, if depending on how your draft flows, there I don't think there's anything wrong this year with having three shortstops in your lineup because there's so yeah. many good ones. So um Dansby's a guy that I think it, it shows how deep the position is because he's so talented and it's hard to really argue with any of the guys ahead of him. Like you could easily say Dansby can be over them at the same time. They're all pretty good in their own rights, so it's not. It's kind of like getting picky in the situation. It's just such a deep position. Exactly. But he should, he should be going higher than where he's going. He should. So, uh,
2: I mean, yeah. that's why when we were talking TGFBI stuff, you know, I didn't even bring up that, you know, in the 11th round, I didn't expect, you know, Corey Seager's still out there. Jorge Polanco's still out mm-hmm. there. Um, uh, Gene Segura's still out there, who's going to have shortstop second base eligibility because he's going to play second in in Philly. Those are all guys that I love. And I didn't even think about taking them because there's just so many still out there that, you know, it's really I actually think it's driving down the price of a lot of good shortstops because everybody is just saying, you know what, this position's deep, you can wait. And then you can wait on some guys that should be going maybe three full rounds earlier.
1: Yeah, no doubt about it. Uh give me one of the guys that's falling in the wrong direction.
2: Uh one of the guys falling in the wrong direction um is actually Jesus Aguilar Um, and actually um, Jesus Aguilar and and Eric Thames were almost kind of like exactly similar situations. So Aguilar was down 11.4% barrels per batted ball event to 7.5. Eric Thames was down from 16.7%, which is a crazy high percentage of barrels per batted ball event and likely unsustainable to 9.3. But what I thought was interesting about both of them was, Their exit velocities stayed the same as they were in their strong years. Their launch angles were still where we want them to be. Uh, Their sweet spot percentage was still up above uh, major league average. Um, uh, Eric Thames' sweet spot percentage was basically in line with his 2018. Both of their K percentages went down, and Jesus Aguilar's walk percentage went up. So you're looking at guys who are still hitting the ball hard, are still hitting the ball at um, a launch angle that's preferable for home runs, are not striking out as much, um, and their barrels just went down. They weren't getting um, as much good contact as they did the year before. To me, I really think that, and this is something where we talk, we'll bring it all back full circle to the start of the podcast. I think sometimes (laughs) you get things that stats don't tell you, both of those guys are in platoon situations last year. They're not getting consistent playing time. There are days on end where they're sitting on the bench, um, especially um, when you're a power hitter like that, you know it is a lot of of rhythm seeing the ball. Uh, and you know when you don't get to establish that rhythm. When you have maybe an 0 for 3 or, you know, an 0 for 9 stretch and then you're sitting and you're kind of stewing on it for a while, um, there is a sense that if you're still hitting the ball hard in general, but I'm not getting as many barrels, I'm just – what it tells me is they're a little bit off. Mm-hmm. They're not all off. It's not broken. It's not last year's Travis Shaw. It's something that's maybe these guys get out of a platoon situation um, or as heavy of a platoon situation as they were in last year and they're able to regain a little bit more of the 2018 magic, which is actually kind of why I, I like them in their new situations. I mean, I think Aguilar is locked into plate appearances in Miami, and Tim's is on the right side of uh, Platoon in Washington. Um, and I kind of think at the end of a draft, these are guys who maybe the the barrel percentage dropping is more of a – a red herring and is going to lead people away from them when we shouldn't be running away from them.
1: Yeah, it's, it's a good point—the the platoon thing because you can't get in a rhythm. Your timing's off. I think there's a lot to be said about that because Aguilar was just a mess last year, mm-hmm. absolute mess. Thames would have his moments, but still kind of sketchy. Like you mentioned, Thames goes to Washington platooning with uh, Ryan Zimmerman, still the strong side, and Aguilar shouldn't have any issue getting playing time. Actually, Aguilar is a very intriguing uh late round corner infield type power bat that he's literally got thirty five plus home run upside if he figures it out. Um he's going about to pick three forty. Eric Thames about pick three sixty right now. Uh there's some other guys like Justin Smoke at three fifty seven. Um you got Howie Kendrick at three fifty one, Evan White for the, the Mariners at three forty nine. So it's an interesting group at the back end of your first base corner infield type situation. Um yeah. anybody else that stood out as drops? Um, Randall Gritchick
2: stood out as as a drop. I mean, I I do, you know, one of the biggest drops was Chris Davis. I think that was just based on his his hip. Um yeah, I'm, I'm I'm buying still back pretty, on him. I'm still buying back way in. Um, you know, Randall Gritschick is somebody I keep hearing about. If you need power late in drafts, you know, draft Randall Gritchick. Um and sure, I mean, you know, he had thirty one home runs last year, he had twenty-five the year before. Um, you know, he he can certainly hit home runs. Um, I see uh, an exit velocity that's lower than I want for a power hitter. I see um, a a declining barrel percentage for three years in a row. Um, You know, I see a declining sweet spot percentage for three years in a row. I see declining X stats for three years in a row. Um, I see declining um, X wool bacon for three years in a row. So, eh, I mean, I think if you need power late, uh, you know, I'd much rather – um i don't i mean I'd much rather at their cost I'd much rather you know wait on a guy like like Tims or Aguilar than take Grecha who's you know um at least the the last time I looked um is going you know in the the like 270 yeah, two seventy range two seventy eight yeah right as opposed to those you know mid three hundred numbers you're you're calling out for some of the other guys. Um, so I'm, I'm not buying in on, on Gritchik as a, as a power source late in drafts. Um, I just think that there's, there's so much power going around, um, you know, in the league that I think, I just don't know, um, that if, if he continues his trend of declining numbers, I think you might be looking at another like 24 home run season, 25, and that that's fine, but it, it's not something that you're going to be super happy about. Um, I yeah, do what's
1: common also
2: yeah, I do want to plug for the positives um another guy that I've been championing the whole way, and it's uh, I might regret it because we're in a two catcher league right now uh but if you take his last full year um as a starter, so that was two thousand seventeen and compare that to uh and compare that to last year two thousand nineteen um the player whose barrel percentage grew more. Uh, barrels per batted ball event uh percentage grew more than anybody was Jason Castro. Um I love Castro. His
1: his stat page is amazing.
2: It's great. And he got lost in the <laughs> shuffle because he was on the same team as Mitch Garver and Mitch yep. Garver was the breakout darling last year. Um and you know rightfully so Mitch Garver deserves, you know, all the the talk and the attention and the love that he's getting. Uh but Jason Castro had a great year last year. Now he finds himself as the starting catcher in Los Angeles in a good lineup um as a left-handed bat uh and I just think that there's an opportunity there for him you know to to not only be able to accumulate some RBIs and runs with the top of that lineup hitting behind him but I see no reason why he he can't push 20 home runs if he's you know able to get 400 plus plate appearances in that lineup which I which I think
1: happens. completely agree. Um I I even in, in TGFBI last year, because I wasn't as aggressive on catchers, I was playing Castro off and on the entire season. Like when Garver was hurt and stuff, Castro was a regular in my lineup. And then when Garver comes came back, I couldn't you know afford the situation that was there. But he's a, a heck of a hitter out there. He's a really good defensive catcher, which keeps yeah. him in the rotation a lot more than people think. That's why I'm still kind of telling people, like Garver I get was a beast at the plate. I expect some regression there. He's still really good, but his defense isn't great, and they brought uh, Avila in, and Avila is a very good defensive catcher. Valdelli mm-hmm. loves his defensive guys. So I'm not saying Garver can't be good, but Garver got a lot of time at first base last year too. Now Miguel is going to be there. So right. uh, keep that in mind. He'll still be good. I, it's just hard for me to reach for him uh, in situations. I love the Castro call. 23rd catcher off the board, about 335. Yeah. It's going to be interesting though, because he's gone as high as 284. Uh, I have a feeling in TGFBI FBI is going to go much higher. He's one of those guys. The more we talk about him, I've heard him on a lot of shows lately. Like I wrote him up a long time ago in on a different uh, in my rankings and stuff as my like late round sleeper catcher. I'm starting to see a lot more people mention him. I'm getting really nervous. He's going to start climbing up and then, it, then it's kind of like is he gonna be worth it type thing
2: yeah that's a that's a that's a really good point i mean I think you know he's not gonna he's not catching hundred and forty hundred and fifty games um and I think that you know there are few catchers out there who do that uh mm-hmm. and as he starts climbing you know maybe it doesn't become worth the price anymore which would be sad because I kind of think TGFBI in a two catcher league might be the the only league for me to reasonably be rostering, uh, uh, Jason Castro, and I, I really want to. Um, but you know, uh, I guess we'll have to see. I'm kind of hoping I still get my share of him in TG FBI. But you know, I'm not gonna I'm not gonna go crazy. There are some there's some guys that are slipping um, in two catchers that I would you know take and be sad about, but uh, you know, still survive.
1: And and you mentioned something there is you know not many catchers catch that many games anymore, and I. I can't remember the number off the top of my head right now, but I wrote the catcher preview in the fantasy black book, Joe P. book. And I broke down kind of the, you know, X amount of guys only caught this many games. X, like, it's not like the old days where every main starter caught 140 plus games. It really doesn't happen anymore. There were a lot of guys because cat, a lot of catchers now, DH, play first base also. It feels like that were playing between 90 and 110 games on like all mm-hmm. these teams. A lot of them were. So there's a point in the two catcher league that if they're consistently producing like a Jason Castro at 125 or 130 games, they're still a great asset, like a really good asset. Uh, so there's a lot to be said. It's uh, one of those things where uh, in daily leagues where I hate rostering extra catchers, but like the Barf League I'm in, it's a two-catcher league with daily leagues. I literally have Kurt Suzuki and Yon Gomes on my roster. I have three catchers, and I hate it because I hate having three catchers on my roster. At the same time, I'll always have the Nationals catcher in the lineup. Like, stuff like that. Yeah. So, lots of ways to approach it. But, uh, Eric, this was a blast. Time flew. As we were chatting this up. Had a great um, time. No problem. What else? What do you got coming up at Rollerballer? Plug away your Twitter account, all that good stuff. Uh, So, the
2: Twitter account is at NYC. That's uh, S-A-M-S-K-I-N-Y-C. Right now, a lot of a lot of TGFBI on the Twitter account. Um, I've got the, the OAA stuff coming out at um, Rotoballer. And then I'm actually, you know, you brought it up at the beginning of the show, uh, the idea of line drive percentage. Uh, I'm going to start digging into line drive percentage and looking over the last three years and, and see whose line drive percentages have, you know, increased. And if we can kind of look at changes in line drive percentage as a way to project, who might be uh, breaking out or not? So I'm going to dig into that research now and um, kind of see what we can pull out from there.
1: Oh, I can't wait to check it out. It's been a pleasure uh, reading your stuff and getting you on the pod. And I can't wait to have you on again. Sometimes so we'll definitely do this again in the future. Can't wait. All right, everybody, suspense with Bubba, episode 253, with Eric Smolski, of Rotoballer, talking TGFBI, recent news, barrels, outs above average, all kinds of cool stuff. So go check him out on Twitter, and we will catch you guys next time.